Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbong. We talk a lot about parents on the pod. Authors love writing books about families, and it's pretty often, actually, that characters who are flawed and messy are the way they are because their parents goofed some time ago. A lot of the tension in today's book actually comes from the absence of parents and what can fester in the void they leave. The novel is When We Were Sisters by Fatima Askar, and it's about these three orphans who are left in the care of an uncle who you know, isn't that great and has got his own problems. Oscar's own parents died when they were young, and they talked to NPR's Scott Simon about how the stories involving orphans they read growing up never really rang true. Those books didn't capture the chaos or cruelty of it all and how you find a way to keep living despite all that. This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. The mother of Kosher, Aisha and Noreen, the youngest to oldest of three sisters, died years ago. Then one day their Baba, their father, dies too. Let's ask Fatima Oscar, the author of the new novel, When We Were Sisters, to read from their book, narrated in the voice of the youngest. Orphans, the aunties say, and we become something new. No longer a daughter, no longer my father's kid, but an orphan. Our mom is dead too, gone before I could speak. No one talks about her or how she died. Our dad, the only parent we knew. Now, orphaned, each aunt touches her hand to my head to get her salab. My head, now a home for palms. Everyone's unwashed fingers comb through my hair. Some of them grab at my forehead, their nails pressing into my skin as though they'll get extra by prying it open. The wailing in the room so loud it touches Allah. The wailing signaling Jannah so that the announcement can be known. There are orphans here, orphans that need to be cared for. Clothe them, feed them, be kind to them. They point to the Quran. Clothe them. I look down at the pink dress I've been wearing for three days, poofed up like a princess. Feed them. My fingers sticky with popsicle. Be kind to them. The hands pushing into my forehead. The new thing I am, taking hold of all my other names. Fatima Oscar, who is also a poet, pretty obviously, filmmaker, performer, and co-creator of the Emmy-nominated web series Brown Girls, joins us from Los Angeles. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. The pain on that early page is so wincing and so true. Is this territory you know from your own life? Yeah, my parents died when I was very, very young. I embody a lot of the same identity traits as Koser, so being... South Asian, being Muslim, being femme, being queer. So there's a lot of Coaster's pain that is a very similar pain to some that I know and excavated for this novel. Mm. The sisters are taken into the care of an uncle whose name is always blanked out like a redacted document. Why? 
Yeah, I did that for many reasons. I wanted to invoke a certain amount of fear of that character. And also I wanted the reader to have the experience of reading it and thinking about the name that they filled in in their own head. The sisters grow up in, um, how to put this nicely, kind of a cold environment, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very mean one. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, help us understand that. Regulations, rules, often without sense, loneliness, having to rely only on each other. Yeah, I think that a lot of times growing up as an orphan, I would read these stories with orphan protagonists, and yet none of them felt very true to me (laughs) as an orphan. I was like, this doesn't feel accurate. And when you're on the margins of a society and when you're vulnerable from such a young age by something like your parents dying in a society that's so organized around the nuclear family, there's a certain kind of cruelty that you might encounter that I think most people don't have a reference point for. Yeah. Help us understand what the siblings mean to each other. Uh, Noreen, I think, is nine when the story begins. She becomes grown up all at once, doesn't she? Yeah, I think all of them do in certain ways. And they also struggle sometimes, and I think we see this a lot with Gosar, is the grownness and the maturity and then also these moments of being young and also having young logic or having a certain kind of arrested logic, particularly around her father's death because it's such a hard thing for her to grapple with. And so these siblings, they love each other. You can feel it. Like they they share the same skin at certain points and they are the only ones who look out for each other. I am struck by the fact that they they love each other and yet they tear away from each other the the way that they would from parents at some mm-hmm. at some point. I mean, that's how you grow up, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think for them, they are each other's parents. Like yeah. there's the riff on the line where Koser is talking about, you know, they're my sisters, but they're also my brothers and they're also my mothers and they're everything. They're my everything. Yeah. And so there's kind of a way that the relationships are strained in a way that sibling relationships with parents maybe are not because they are also acting as each other's caretakers. And so it's not as easy as just being like, oh, there's siblings fighting and then a parent comes in and steps in and is like, love your siblings. There's no one who can step in for them. So their fights are a little bit more vicious and a little bit more feral than I think fights that we're used to seeing among siblings. I've read interviews with you when you refer to the, um, the burden of representation. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I grew up not ever seeing anyone who looked like me. And so even just when I first started to make art, there was so much resistance I got from people who were like, but this isn't what we think of a story from somebody who we think looks like you. And I was like, yeah, I know, (laughs) but this is the story I'm telling and this is the story I want to tell. It's interesting that kind of thing of when folks start to mitigate you only through the lens of what you look like and not through the lens of your craft. There's a freedom when we push past, you know, these gatekeeping voices that say, this is the only narrative of these people that we're allowed to say. And we're saying, no, There's so many of us. And so I think for me, it's really about getting as many stories as we possibly can so that we can be very honest about what human relationships look like. And we don't have to try and sugarcoat them or try and downplay them for the fear of what that might do for our communities. You say in the afterward, you hope this book can be healing. How so? I think that 
that kind of thing of when you really grapple with an emotion, when you really grapple with some narratives, when you really grapple with the complexity of humanity, I think artwork that does that is healing. Even if it puts you in an emotion that's very tough, you know? So even if you're contending with grief a lot in the book, I hope that there's a catharsis at the end of that, you know? There's not a neat resolution. There's no. just living. <laughs> no, it, it's just life. And I, I don't think I give life. away the ending by saying it's just life. Yeah, and I think that there's healing in being able to say that and being able to say, these characters just keep living and they keep living with their traumas and they keep living with their distances and they keep living with their longing and yet they still love each other. And for me, I think one of the dominant feelings I feel about the book is how much love is in it. Like these characters, they go through things that are so heartbreaking and so cruel and yet they still insist on loving as much as they possibly can, even when they're mean to each other. And I think... That, to me, is what it means to be alive, is everyone is grappling with their little bundle of pain and joy and trauma, and yet they're still trying to find connection, and they're still trying to find ways to care for each other. And that is, like, the only reason to keep living. Fatima Oscar, their novel, When We Were Sisters. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, State Farm. In the market for small business insurance, State Farm knows your business is your life. State Farm agents are small business owners too, so they know what it takes. They can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I, I just started doing research. Uh, but the truth is, I, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR.